electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Steve Grasso, Pete Najeri, and co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Tim Seymour will join us in just moments. Tonight on Fast, the market's $4.2 trillion test. We are less than 24 hours away from big reports on Apple and Amazon. Will those earnings send stocks soaring? We've got the setup straight ahead. Speaking of cars... The uh, chart master says it is time to put the brakes on this auto stock. Why Carterworth sees a bumpy road ahead for this name. And later, hedge fund powerhouse Gil Simon presenting his best idea right now at this year's Sone conference. He'll join us in moments to break down his top pick. We start off with an earnings alert on Ford. Shares are jumping in the after-hour session. Let's get to, uh, straight to Phil Abo, who's got all the details. Phil. Hey, Melissa, not only did Ford beat the street, they smashed the earnings expectations. Take a look at the chart of Ford shares after it reported earnings. The reason for the pop higher, reporting earnings of 51 cents a share. The street was expecting 27 cents a share. Forget about the fact that revenue was a smidge under expectations, coming in at $32.2 billion. Nobody's paying attention to that right now. It's the earnings beat by what? 24 cents? I mean, it's, it's a huge beat there. Their earnings adjusted EBIT margin. 10 point, or it's going to be 8.4%. Here's the guidance. Let's talk about this. Stronger Q4 sales. They're going to be raising their 2021 profit target. The new full-year EBIT-adjusted profit target is 10.5 to $11.5 billion. Previously, it was 9 to $10 billion. That's another reason why shares moved higher. What about the chip outlook? This got a fair number of questions with the CFO during a media call just a few minutes ago. During that call, he said, look, it is improving, and it certainly is going to improve in the fourth quarter compared to the third quarter, but the shortage, it will last through 2022. It will decrease in intensity, but it will last through 2022. And he also said it may linger into 2023. That hasn't spooked people because the stock is still holding up after hours. As you take a look at shares of Ford, a couple other notes here. One, it expects 40 to $45 billion in CapEx spending between now and 2025, with only $15 billion of that being for the BEV, the battery electric vehicle investments that they've already outlined, the $30 billion. So there are substantial investments that Ford will be making over the next four years. No change in its full year adjusted free cash flow guidance, still in that range of 4 to $5 billion. And finally, the company will be reinstating its quarterly dividend. It will be $0.10 cents a share for shareholders who are of record on November 19th. Remember, Melissa, they got rid of the dividend in March of last year, right when the pandemic was beginning, because they wanted to conserve cash. They had no idea what would happen. And look, they needed to save that cash at that time, but now they have reinstated it, 10 cents a share for those who are of record on November 19th. Melissa? Phil, the quality of the, the guidance on the semiconductor shortage feels so different between General Motors and Ford. And I'm wondering yes. if you, you have the same takeaway. I mean, significant improvements yep. in Q3 is what Ford saw. It, it feels like a very different story from what GM painted this morning. And it is a different picture. And, and CFO John Lawler was asked about that just a few minutes ago. Uh, and he said, look, I think the difference might be the fact that 
Ford was hit by the Renesis plant fire in the second quarter. Remember that? Remember when they had to drop down and bring down their guidance because their chip supply was so dramatically hit after that fire? Well, in the third quarter, what did we hear from General Motors? There was COVID-19, a resurgence of cases, brought down production at a chip plant in Malaysia. GM's a little more exposed to that plant than Ford. So it shouldn't be a surprise that we see a little bit different um, take in terms of what's happening with the chip supply from one automaker to the next, because we definitely saw Ford get hit in the second quarter while GM was not as impacted as much. And that's the flip here in the third quarter. All right. Phil, keep us posted. The conference call is underway right now as we speak, Phil Abou, with the latest on Ford. As we have been talking about, I mean, it feels like a very different story. Tim, I don't know if you feel the same way about Ford and GM. Well, certainly when you talk about semiconductors and second quarter shipments up 67 percent over uh, third quarter, excuse me, up 67 percent over second quarter. I mean, Ford is Ford is able to talk about a softening. And despite the fact that they're being cautious on the outlook, this is not what you heard out of GM. The fact that, look, they, they crushed their numbers. They didn't just, you know, beat the street. They, they absolutely destroyed the number. And I think you know that tells people also where uh, maybe they've been more conservative. They've reiterated this 40 to 45 billion in expenditures, or maybe they They've actually underscored that. And and I think that also just shows the commitment they have to both EV and and some of the technologies that I think are really part of what are giving Ford uh, a boost here. But um, are they better run than GM? Hard to know. In terms of historically, uh, arguably, GM was the one that cut loss leading businesses faster than Ford and I think improved a lot of the elements of, of uh, essentially, the production chain. This is a very exciting day for Ford uh, during difficult times, and you know they can talk about commodity costs being higher, et cetera. No big deal here. Um, also, began to talk about things like Rivian, which we talked about the other night, and probably didn't pay attention to the fact that Ford owns a chunk of Rivian. Mm-hmm. Um, some of their investments in EV and other technologies are also paying off and accreting to the valuation here. So based on today, Guy, what does this tell you about whether Ford or GM is the better investment? I think it's Ford, um, but maybe you're splitting hairs, but I do think it's Ford. And you can make, and we've talked about this now for a while, just on valuation alone, a lot of people say, you, you know, you don't buy autos when they're cheap, and I get it. But one of the points we made is you can get to the point where they're just too cheap, and I think that's where we are with Ford. For example, Credit Suisse, I think on October 20th, just raised their price target to $20. I think that puts them high in the street. Prior to that, I think the range was between 11 and 18. I mention that because I guarantee over the next couple trading days, you're going to see analysts ratchet up their numbers on valuation. So you just put a 10 multiple on the buck 80 or so they're going to earn. And by the way, it's probably going to be more than that next year. You're talking about an 18 to $20 stock. I think that's where it's going. So for me, it's Ford, Mel. What's your takeaway, Steve? And what would you want to know from this call, which is underway right now? Yeah, so, so Ford was riddled with delays uh, with the Bronco rollout. I want to know how the rollout of the uh, electrified F-150 is going. But if you look at it from a, a, a semiconductor standpoint, Tesla is the, is the platinum standard. Then we go to Ford. Then we go to GM. But, but if you think Ford is cheap, GM's cheaper. Ford is up 82% year-to-date or thereabouts with the after-hours action. GM is up roughly 32 and change or somewhere around that. I think what we heard from, uh, from Ms. Barra was that uh, she is talking to the semiconductor companies. We haven't heard that from Ford. And she thinks that Q1 of 2020, uh, 2022, things are going to look better. 
So Ford is kicking that out. I think uh, uh, Phil LeBeau said it, we're looking at a story that's going to be uh, prevalent uh, as far as chip shortages through the entire 2022 year. I think Ford is probably maxed out here. Uh, guy hit it on the head, 18 to 20. That's where the street is as far as price target. I think if I'm putting new money to work right now, I put it in GM just, for, to, just to look for a catch-up trade. I'll let you go even broader, Pete. What's your favorite pick right now? If you had to put new money in the market right now into an auto stock, what would it be? I'd go straight to the EV space, and specifically I'd go to Tesla, which I already have some calls in Tesla. But um, I like a lot of the various names out there, Mel. I like Neo. I like Xping. I like a lot of these various names, some of the Chinese names as well. But when I look at this Ford number, I, it is impressive, I think. And I think the fact that they are able to separate themselves a little bit when we're talking about the semiconductors, that really was something huge, obviously, for the quarter. And then when you look at their guidance, and their guidance was very strong, and the spending, I'm looking at that CapEx. I actually think the commitment that they're making towards the battery side of things, $15 billion, that seems pretty impressive to me. I think they're trying to move there as fast as they can. And again, I'm still curious about this rollout as well of the F-150. I, I think that's going to be something very interesting from the electric side. I, I, I want to see how is that going? How is that progressing? We all know the chips are an issue, but we also know that pricing has, has been a part of the deal as well. The pricing power of both GM and Ford, but specifically Ford, I think that's very impressive to, to see the fact that they're able to be able to swallow what they're doing right now and some of the spending and everything else they're doing, and yet they're able to pass along some of this at least when we look at some of the transactions of the vehicles, very, very impressive, I think, for Ford. All right. Um, Ford shares just off of after-hour session highs at this point, nine minutes into the conference call. We'll keep you posted on any developments there. Meantime, let's turn to the big tech breakout. Monster moves in Alphabet and Microsoft sending the Nasdaq 100 to a new record today. The Nasdaq Composite getting within a stone's throw of its all-time high. The two tech titans posting their biggest gains in months and closing at all-time highs on the back of strong results. With stocks hovering near records, the market now faces a $4 trillion test. Apple and Amazon both on deck with results tomorrow after the bell. So if these two names deliver, could this be the green light for market highs ahead? Guy, we've had this conversation in some shape or form for, for years now with tech leaders, um, tech being the leadership. Is it still going to be the key here? Does it not matter what else goes on as long as we have, you know, the biggest sort of leaders in the market moving higher? Well, I think it does matter. Pete points out all the time that it's, you know, although we talk about these stocks, rightly so, by the way, um, there are other things that are driving this as well. But to answer your question specifically, I do think it'll give the all clear sign. And by the way, you know, although the price action at Facebook was miserable and kudos to Dan Nathan, by the way, the other night who said the stock would open lower, the numbers out of both Facebook and Google and oh, by the way, Microsoft, which was just ridiculous given their size and scope, um, lead me to believe that you're going to see very similar in terms of Apple and Amazon. I actually think Amazon might set up a little bit better only because it's so significantly off that all-time high we made. Um, but the Apple bounce off this recent low has been impressive as well. So those names have carried the broader market. There's nothing to suggest that's going to change anytime soon. Yeah, Pete, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I would agree with Guy, especially with Amazon versus Apple. I think right now you look at Apple, and, and obviously they've got their own issues. Obviously everybody's talking about chips and everything. But when you look over at Amazon, uh, the first thing that comes to mind, obviously, is AWS. And when we listen to the call and how impressive these numbers were coming out from Microsoft, I think that's going to translate over into Amazon as well. So I think Amazon, 
looking forward, I think that should be a very, very quality quarter that we're going to be looking at there. On the other hand, when I look at Apple, there's a few bumps in the road, Mel. This is a stock that made a really nice run late to get up to some highs, but it's been kind of just floundering around for a while. So uh, I'm expecting to see not as big of a, a move out of Apple. I think Amazon, on the other hand, certainly could look a lot like the way Microsoft looked today. There are concerns, obviously, for Apple specifically about supply chain issues, Steve, hampering the holiday quarter. So that's going to be a real big issue in tomorrow's call. Yeah, and and I think we factored that in. And the stock, uh, to Guy's point, has jumped from there. And uh, Amazon's chart does not look as good as Apple's chart. Microsoft's chart looks better than both of those. But when you look at the triple Qs, the three of those names are roughly 30%. If they rally, they take, they drag the market along with them. This had more to do, the bounce in the, in the large cap tech had more to do with the 10-year yield action than anything else for me. So when you see this, the 10-year go from one spot seven zero down to one spot five five, I, I don't think rates are going to rip. I've said it months ago that I think deflation is going to be prevalent versus uh, inflation. I know we have uh, the cost of milk, the cost of gasoline. That's more a supply chain shock. And I do believe that once that clears, you're going to see large cap tech rip. You're going to see the overall market rip as well. Tim, you were also looking at yields and specifically the shorter end of the curve. But that got you concerned about the markets. Well, look, I, I think outside of Microsoft and Google today, markets would have traded. Uh, I mean, we, we know what the percentages we just went through. That's 18 percent of the triple Qs. They, they held everything up. Um, and by the end of the day, the market was selling off. Um, and, I, and I think the setup, look, this is a, the, the micro, this is the fast money call, because I think it, you know, ultimately, I think the, the Fed's direction is what, can, what will dictate uh, where markets are going to be and how aggressive. And we've gotten some inflation this week. Uh, we've gotten some more reads into why I think they may be well behind the curve. Look, Bank of Canada today put the brakes on, full stop on QE. They said, no taper, we're just stopping. Um, and, and when you look at the short end of the curve, so back to, yeah, I mean, look, the yield curve flattened 10 basis points in the U.S., twos, tens. What's that mean? Everybody knows that affects the banks and whatnot. But it's also telling you where the market is starting to price ahead of where the Fed is. Uh, and I think that is something to at least be watchful of. And, and if you look at other parts of the cyclical you know, subsectors in the economy, transports didn't do so well, despite incredible numbers out of UPS yesterday. Uh, the, the banks, for some of the yield curve reasons and also some of the cyclicality, industrials were heavy today. So look, you have an S&P that's run 7%, over 7% in the last 17 trading sessions. And the VIX, which by the end of the day, closed up 8 to 9% and got above 16, but is still absurdly low. So, you know, as we set this up for tomorrow and Amazon and Apple and and Amazon, I I agree with the guys, is probably the most important stock because I think it's a stock that that really has been, uh, you know, it's done almost nothing. The comps are still very difficult for them until you get into the the first or second quarter next year. So uh, I do think uh, between the yield curve and what the bond markets were telling us and equity markets that have run very far, um, it makes the bar very high for both those companies tomorrow. One that's run very far, one that's done almost nothing, and I think the expectations are low. You know, I think only a handful uh, of times in history, fast money history, that is, have we mentioned Bank of Canada um, within the first 20 minutes of the show, Guy. But that is the world we live in, in which we, we look at other central banks around the world and we wonder if they're going to beat the Fed to the punch in terms of tightening, in terms of raising rates, in terms of ending their own taper. 
throw another one at you that, we, that might be a fast money first. Bank of New Zealand about a month or so ago yeah. did similar. <laughs> uh, there are a lot, of, a lot of people putting the brakes on here, and probably, rightly so, given some of these moves we've seen in commodities, specifically the base metals that we rarely talk about and energy that we talk about all the time. My sense is it's not going to force this Fed's hand. They're still obviously uh, the granddaddy of them all, but it definitely makes it a bit more difficult for them to continue to sort of push out this taper and rate hike cycle. So Tim makes a great point. And I do think that that flattening of the twos, tens today is probably why, in retrospect, the market sold off late. Yep. Coming up, slamming the brakes, Chartmaster Carter Worth says it is time to hit the sell button on this auto stock while he sees trouble in the charts on this name. Plus, investors are loving it. Shares of Mickey D's trading higher after big earnings. B will break down what is next for this fast food trade. Don't, do not go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Talk about your happy meals. Shares of McDonald's gaining 2.6% today after beating analyst estimates for the third quarter. Higher prices and new menu items boosting sales. The fast food chain also entered a partnership with IBM to help automate its drive-through lanes. McDonald's stock is up nearly 13% year-to-date. That is still trailing the broader markets. Um, so what's, what's your outlook, Guy? <laughs> Operating margins beat by 380 <laughs> basis points to comps blew away the street numbers. I mean, we've been pretty steadfast on McDonald's. And I don't know, listen, I, I don't want to cast dispersions, as they say, but I'm willing to bet that McDonald's does not need IBM nearly as much as IBM needs McDonald's. And I don't quite know how much fast you can get those through those drive through lanes. I know the one that orders five cheeseburgers, a large Coke, and a large fry. I get how fast I go through. But there's no stopping this stock. People will knock it on valuation, but that's been a knock now for seemingly the last three years. I think it continues to go higher from here. Same store sales in the United States specifically were monstrous. I mean, up 14.6 percent year on 2019. So compared to pre-pandemic levels, it's revved higher by 14.5 percent, Pete. Yeah, 
the average, you know, when you look at the check growth, I mean, all the different categories, you check the box and McDonald's is doing everything right. You know, in a lot of ways, Mel, quite honestly, they are maneuvering themselves very much like when we talk about Chipotle. We talk about you know, everything going digital. Well, they've got their digital side. They've got the drive-through side. They've got a lot of different categories, and they keep adding to their menu. If you look at that menu, they've added the plant products. They've also gone a little bit deeper into chicken over this past year as well. So they're doing everything right. They're seeing those customers come in. They're same-store sales, as you mentioned. When you look at the revenue growth, for a very, very, very mature company, they are just literally hitting everything just about right. So you've got to be very impressed with the numbers that I think McDonald's is putting out. That's why it was up significantly today, and that's why I think it actually can hold on to this P.E. level where it is at about, a what, a 24, I think, right now. Once upon a time, Tim, we sent you to McDonald's to check out um, their craft burgers, I think, and you ordered it on yeah. some sort of touchscreen TV. But, I mean, to get back to the partnership with IBM and to Guy's point about getting through the drive-through faster in a world in which people don't necessarily want to touch anything going into a restaurant, getting the cars moving a little bit faster could actually have huge benefits uh, in terms of sales. Yeah, look, if, if Guy is in his Camaro in the line in front of me, I'm going to Burger King because it's going to take a long time. And, and so, you know, <laughs> if you think about what they've done uh, with with their menu, they've raised prices. We've talked about the kiosks, but the loyalty programs and, and, and the marketing, they're, they're, they're hitting, uh, I think, also a slightly different demographic. And I mean a younger demographic. I mean Gen Z. I mean, I mean, Saweetie and his crispy chicken sandwich. And, and I, you know, huh. Jay Balvin, all these, you know, the, the celebrities that they're choosing, uh, the technology that they're using, the menu revamp. And, and of course, they've raised prices. So I, I think they're able to get through in a higher food cost environment and pass that along. And, and I think you said it. The U.S. comps are extraordinary. The international comps this last quarter were fantastic. And at 24 times 2022 EBITDA, it, it's not expensive. So, I mean, you can't, I don't think you can push back on the valuation. I think the valuation is interesting. And look, the stock's underperformed the S&P by 30% over the last two years. So it's not like it's performed. I think this is a very good time for the Golden Arches. All right, we're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. The Sun Conference is underway, and one top hedge fund manager is laying out his next best idea. You don't want to miss the name. Plus, Avis hitting all green lights this year, but the chartmaster says it might be time for a pit stop. Why, he says this stock could be hitting the skids. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an after-hours alert on Zillow. Shares moving higher as one top hedge fund manager names it his top pick and says the stock could hit $350 in the next few years. Let's get to Leslie Picker, who's got that hedge fund manager. Leslie. <laughs> Thank you so much, Melissa. Yes, that hedge fund manager is Gil Simon, the CIO of Soma Equity Partners. Gil, thank you 
very much for being here fresh off of that Sone presentation on Zillow. Uh, you said in the presentation, of course, that you believe Zillow could be a $100 billion plus internet company. That's about four times its current market cap. You call it the Google of real estate. The market, though, appears to be pricing in something different. It appears to be pricing in some macroeconomic as well as some idiosyncratic risk here with shares down more than 50 percent since its recent February highs. Where do you think the disconnect is? Hi, Leslie. So, so that's why we pitched it here. Um, so, so we love that there's a short-term disconnect from the long-term story. And uh, we get it. The short-term disconnect relates to uh, the real estate market, uh, not declining, but, but cer- certainly cooling off a bit, um, as well as uh, Zillow specifically having some struggles in, in you know, ramping up this iBuying function, um, which is not a trivial uh, business to build. Uh, it reminds us a little bit of Tesla in their early days when they would shut down their Model 3 manufacturing lines. If you remember, there was even people would, would mock them uh, when they had to build a tent um, outside of their factory to try to ramp up their manufacturing. Not trivial. Uh, but the big picture idea here is what's really appealing to us. And so uh, what we see is that uh, the nature or the way in which uh, consumers in this country transact in the real estate market is totally going to change. Um, this three-month process of uh, hiring realtors and staging your home, uh, negotiating, uh, fixing, uh, 30-day closing, all of these things, which, which are such a headache for consumers, there's a big opportunity to optimize that whole experience. And there are a couple of companies really focused on that. It's such a big opportunity. Um, and we think this is the company uh, that's going to win in that effort. So we think the long-term uh, view is extremely compelling. It could be much bigger than a four-bagger over time. Uh, and we like the fact that there's some short-term question marks around it that's creating a good opportunity in the stock. Are you concerned, though, that those short-term question marks could turn into long-term question marks? Um, just kind of to take a step back here, Zillow said on October 18th that it was pausing making new offers for those homes to buy new homes while it worked through the backlog related to some supply chain issues, some labor issues. Are those just things that you think are, are temporary and will work themselves out? Or is there a chance that this could be a, a broader issue with regard to its algorithms in terms of pricing for these homes? Well, I, so, so I think that the labor issue is a well-known uh, issue for a lot of industries right now. And so that's what they called out. This is uh, a highly complex uh, transaction to try and take under one roof. Think about if you're building this function in Phoenix or in uh, in uh, Fort Lauderdale, you've got to build out local teams uh, that go and adjust the home prices, contractors and repair workers uh, that can, that can uh, service those homes so that you can turn them uh, in the desired time frame. So like a lot of industries right now, there's clearly a labor shortage. It's not unique uh, to these companies. What gives us confidence is the value creation opportunity, again, for the consumer where you can sell your home for a much shorter, uh, over a much shorter period of time, at actually a higher net proceed to the to the seller, that is a, a step function in how our real estate market functions, and so uh, so that is is our kind of uh, guiding uh, focus. And this company has a great management team. Um, you know, Rich Barton, who came back to run the company a few years ago, he's one of the co-founders. Um, we're confident that they can iterate, um, and that this 
opportunity you know, justifies us living through a little bit of the pain in the short run. Hey, Gil, it's, it's Melissa Lee back at the NASDAQ. Um, so I'm glad that you mentioned the management team because I'm wondering if you've gotten any sort of good answers. You actually mentioned, I think, Phoenix or Arizona specifically. But in, their, in one report from BTIG, they say that unlike other iBuyers out there, Zillow, from the period of August through September, ramped up purchases at higher median prices in the market of Phoenix, according to an industry report, and then proceeded to try and sell them at lower prices. It seems like management actually missed the mark in a major housing market um, at a time when things were turning. So what confidence do you have that they've got a hold of that problem and that this won't repeat itself? So think about uh, a couple of things. that This is already a, a tricky problem to solve. And think about a couple of factors that have made it even more complicated in the short run. One is how dynamic prices have been moving. Um, so they really you know, screamed higher over the last 18 months since COVID started. Um, and so that's created challenging. It's, 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 not, it's not trivial to figure out how to buy homes in this market. Um, and it's, it's a very unusual uh, backdrop to be trying to, es- to, to accelerate this business. And then the labor shortage, w- which we talked about. So, not surprising that, that they could have some, some issues. Also, they are, to be fair, uh, learning a little bit from behind. Open Door, which is their largest competitor, has a few-year head start on them. Um, and so, you know, that's, that, that's just the, the reality of it. And so Zillow has to, has to be a, a fast follower and iterate um, and build this muscle. They're adding 40% to their headcount uh, to the company this year, which is about 2,000 employees to build out these local teams and all of this muscle. So again, to us, the, the analogy uh, is, is something akin to Tesla building the factory. It doesn't change that at the end of the day, they have to execute. They've got to right, make the right product that resonates with consumers. And the opportunity, if they can do that, is, is very significant. Gil, your portfolio has a mix of pandemic winners and then also names that are poised to prosper more when the economy uh, reopens. Netflix, Uber, Zoom. Uh, I'm told there are some new ideas with Roblox um, and UMG. Can you kind of explain your thinking and investing in tech names right now um, as we seem to be kind of at this inflection point for names that were really bifurcated over the last few years or so? Sure. Uh, And it's really hard to paint a broad brush. Just as an example, you know, if we were talking six months ago, it would look like Netflix had seen its best days in 2020. Why would you own that in 2021? They got through those tough compares at the beginning of the year, the content slate, because they weren't able to make content for six months, suddenly, you know, picked up. And now the stock's been up 30% in the last, you know, six weeks or so. So it's really hard to to paint with a broad brush. On the other hand, you have something like Zoom, which is down over 50% from its highs last year. Um, That's another kind of COVID winner where people are really worried about the short-term churn dynamics. And we think that the long-term opportunity is so compelling with Zoom while everyone is agonizing over the short-term quarterly numbers. And so, you know, there are those kinds of ideas that Uh, Some are really working and some are not. For us, it's just trying to find the right entry points uh, to achieve the kind of IRRs that we're looking for. Um, You know, our largest position today is another consumer Internet company, which is Uber, um, which uh, also has had a bit of fits and starts with respect to, you know, obviously COVID was really great for the food delivery business. It's quadrupled in size and it's actually bigger than the ride sharing business today. Uh, The ride sharing business is recovering 
nicely, but not in a linear fashion. And so investors are still wrestling with, you know, we had Delta variant and, you know, how do you exactly project out the ride sharing business for a global uh, company like Uber? And what we're excited about is over the next year or two, getting ride sharing and food delivery, which is here to stay, going in the same direction at the same time. And, you know, that's almost never happened for this company. Um, and th- and at, at that point, we think that that will, uh, s- that will satisfy a lot of it or, or answer a lot of the questions around unit economics and, you know, how profitable uh, can Uber really be at scale. So mm. it's really a stock by stock formulation for us. And we're just trying to find the right entry points to make really big returns over time. Interesting. And of course, Uber, another company that's been plagued by some labor issues as well. If you've tried to get an Uber lately, you would know that it is not as easy as it once was. Uh, Gil Simon, thank you very much for joining us. Soma Equity Partners, uh, fresh off his presentation from Sone. Uh, And tomorrow we'll be sitting down with Glenn Kacher, who also spoke at Sone today of Light Street Capital. He's the founder and CIO at that firm. Melissa? Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker covering the Sone conference for us in the regular sessions. Low uh, was down 2.4 percent. After hours is up 2.4 percent. Um, almost a wash here. Tim, what are your feelings on Zillow? Well, I, I tell you what, I, I like the call. It is a non-consensus call, and it's a company that it, a lot of was made out of their iBuyer business uh, being you know, pause, let's say, um, their listings business is still ridiculously strong. And there's a, there's a very high margin ad business, too, that I think is overlooked. And I think the, the stock is not uh, as expensive as, as it certainly as it once was, but relative to the growth here. So, um, you know, I, I look, I think investors uh, in hedge fund managers are looking for guys that do the work and, and guys that uh, aren't necessarily in the consensus calls. And I think that's an interesting play. Yeah. Grasso. Yeah, I think the pivot uh, based on the business model and strategy, most investors don't understand it. So they think it's loaded with risk and they wind up selling first and asking questions later. But Gil spelled out a very coherent uh, entry point for the stock. And on technicals, if you look at the pandemic low to the all time highs in the stock or the recent highs, you come up with a 618 retracement. We're right there. Ninety three dollars is uh, is the holy grail in the stock. And that's actually where the 50 day moving average lines up. So Gil uh, laid out the fundamentals, the technicals. This is a huge level for technicals. If it holds, the stock can really rip. All right. Meantime, we were watching shares of Ford in the after hour session climbing. They are now up by about seven percent. Let's get back to Phil, who's got fresh commentary from that conference call. Thirty six minutes in Phil. Hey, Melissa, you talk about a strong earnings call with analysts. That's what we're hearing from Ford right now between uh, CEO Jim Farley and CFO uh, Jim Lawler. Uh, what you're hearing is a very strong uh, representation of where they believe, believe Ford is right now and where it is headed. In fact, a couple of comments, they were asked about 2022. They both said that they believe that it will be uh, a strong year. Now, they're not putting any targets out there for 2022. We won't get in that until February in terms of financial guidance. But they also believe that Ford is in the midst of a transformation. Jim Farley saying they're making strong progress in transitioning the business away from what it used to be for decades upon decades where we build the models, we sell them to dealers, we stock these dealership lots, and then you and I go out there and we say, well, I like that F-150. 
yeah, I'll buy that one. They are transitioning to a model where you and I will look, whether it's at a Ford dealership or whether it's online, at a model, and we will customize it, and we'll say, that's what I want. And then you go into the order bank. In fact, they were talking about how much their order bank has grown. It's that type of discussion right now with the analysts uh, that is getting a lot of attention. In terms of the chip supply, by the way, Melissa, they were asked how much do they expect it to improve. And they said, well, probably about 10% next year. But they expect the severity of the chip shortage to ease as it goes throughout the year. So while they do expect it to last through all of 2022, they expect the severity of the crunch to ease sequentially as you go month by month throughout the, the year. Melissa, back to you. Phil, thanks. And uh, as Phil is talking, shares continued to climb up 7.8%. Guy, is it possible for a stock that has gone up 77% year to date for it to warrant a further re-rating? I think so. I, I absolutely. Uh, and again, I'll say it and you can fast fire me next week, but you're going to see analysts over the next couple of trading days raise their price targets I would imagine anywhere from 18 to 25. Uh, can it go higher? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I think this price now, 1670, makes it a six-year high. I think the last time we saw this, I think, was March of 2015 or something. So I think people are going to have to re-rate the name, and I think you're going to see it continue to grind higher. All right. Coming up, fly now, pay later. American Airlines teaming up with a firm to provide a payment uh, plan for airfare. Is a sky-high deal a game-changer for the payment industry? Plus, Avis putting the pedal to the metal this year. Shares are surging more than 360%. But the chartmaster says buckle up. It could be a rough ride ahead. We'll lay out the charts when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Car rental company Avis hitting the skids today, but the stock is still up a whopping 360% over the last year. If you've been lucky enough to ride the stock all the way up, the chartmaster says now might be the time to hop off because the stock is headed for a breakdown. Let's get to Carter Worth of Worth Charting. Carter, what are you seeing? Well, I'm seeing the word that you just used, whopping. I mean, it's been a whopper. But the question is, as is the case so often when stocks or currencies commodities get ahead of themselves, at some point, it's just too much of a good thing. We saw it in lumber. We saw it in Moderna. Now, can they go higher day to day after one decides to sell or tries to sell short? Sure. But they always end the same way. Excess gets expunged. Uh, let's look at three charts. Uh, the first is three-year chart with the 150-day moving average. And what we know is the stock has effectively doubled in the past eight weeks, 90 to 180. It is trading higher above its 150 moving average at any time in its history. Take a look at the next chart. This is a five-year chart, but you start to get the same uh, feel, but even more excess. And then a third and final chart. This is a 30-year chart. And what we know is it's been exceptional. Yes, there are probably stories of you know, a bubble in used cars or shortages in this and blockchain, and it just goes on and on. And, and global problems with ports, but at some point, and, and, and this is the issue, your, your price for perfection. Interestingly, it has eight analysts covering on the street, uh, and collectively they think it's worth somewhere between 125 or 92 in the next 12 months, but the stock's trading at 180 as of yesterday. So at a minimum, I think you trim. Take some profits, do something. Carter, thank you. Carter Worth yep. of Worth Charting. Excess gets expunged. Um, Steve Grasso, you had once upon a time been in this name. You made some bold predictions as to where it would go. What, what's the status now? 
Yeah, so I'm not in it anymore. I mean, you look at the chart, you, you get forced out of this stock uh, pretty, pretty quickly uh, in a good way. But the, the major metric that goes into this stock for valuation is the fleet pricing. So as Carter uh, alluded to, if, if fleet pricing is through the roof and used car prices are through the roof, then this should be through the roof as well. It is. Um, it's not absurdly priced given the landscape that we're in. But everything that we heard from Ford and we heard from GM, you have to believe that the chip shortage is the worst it's, it, it's going to be now. If that subsides, then this stock comes in because the fleet prices come in. So I would be selling it. I agree with, with Carter. Uh, oddly enough, the, the RSI relative strength index is only at 71 on this, and it's up 115 percent in 29 days. So, yes, I'd be a seller along with Carter. Hertz, um, headed now by Mark Fields, is also really ramping up and leaning into the competition, Pete. Um, where do you stand on, on Avis? Yeah, you know what? You look at that chart, Mel, and it does kind of scare you off. And I look at the implied volatilities of the options that are trading in here as well, and they are extremely high. As a matter of fact, higher than Tesla, which we used to look at that as extremely high volatility. It's come down significantly. I think Steve is right. I think this is something where I think there will be opportunities, Mel. I would wait for a pullback. I think you're going to get a pullback. I think Carter laid this out very, very nicely, and I think that will be the opportunity. I don't think you need to chase this name after this incredible run that it's made to the upside. I just think you're, you're, you're trying to push too hard for something that I think is going to give you another opportunity much, much lower than it is right now. All right, coming up, is that plane ticket too expensive? Well, you may be in luck. American Airlines and Affirm coming together for a buy now, pay later airfare option. The details on that one next, and the earnings keep rolling in. Investors gearing up for Apple's report tomorrow, and that's got option traders piling in, and we'll tell you how they're playing it next. Welcome back to Fast Money, a new way to fly. A fintech company, Affirm, announcing a deal with American Airlines to provide a buy now, pay later option for airfare. By selecting Affirm at checkout, travelers can split the total cost of flights over $50 into monthly payments. Guy, what's your take? Buy now, pay later is catching the world by storm. It's not necessarily something new. I think it's sort of somewhat nuanced. But I'll tell you something. You know, I thought the problem with this was going to be if rates started to go higher, names like a firm would get whacked. And then I watched Jim Cramer's uh, interview with Max Levchin, I think, on the 30th of September. And he actually made the point that if rates do go higher, their, their products would actually be more appealing. So I think this stock can continue to grind higher. It's had a huge run. I think Morgan Stanley's positive on the name. They report early next week. But I think you stay with a firm here. For that very reason, I would think, Pete, that maybe the credit card companies would hurt if a firm does better, especially in a rising rate environment in which your rate on your card is going to go up. Yeah, there's no doubt, Mel. I mean, this is a great example of of an incredible industry that they've found another way to get into it and to find a niche right here. I think it's really interesting. I think Affirm is a company that someday will make money, uh, but I think it's going to be a challenge for them still because competition is out there. We all know that. And this is an interesting way to try to change things, but it's got to be done in the right way or these companies certainly will have themselves into a really difficult position at some point in time if the economy starts to turn against them like we've seen in the past through the financial crisis and other ways. Tim, your quick take. 
I think the, the, it's, a, it's a great idea, and, and obviously there are plenty of other industries where this type of, of, of an option at purchase makes sense. So I, I think buy now, pay later uh, continues to, to gain significant momentum. I do think that the consumer in a year uh, is going to have a very different position in terms of uh, where their, 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 their balance sheet is at home and where rates are. So um, I do think stocks like this will be vulnerable ultimately. And, and this, to me, is no different than putting out a credit card on some level, even though I think the rate sensitivity is, is of course, higher on a credit card. So stocks not cheap, moved a lot. Uh, I think we priced in the secular trend uh, and would be not buying this one. Well, sticking to the payment space, Kramer is making a big bet on MasterCard. Jim is buying more of the stock today for his charitable trust. You can read all about it in the CNBC Investing Club newsletter. Coming up, Apple earnings on deck and option traders are gearing up for the big report. We'll tell you how they are playing this tech stock. You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are gearing up for another big show tomorrow night with a ton of earnings hitting after the bell, including Apple. Let's get to Mike Coe with the setup. Mike. Yeah, so the options market saw calls outpacing puts by over two to one, although it should be said that that actually is the average over the past 20 days or so. Right now, the options market is implying that the stock's going to move about 3% higher or lower by the end of the week. And the way that some options traders were taking advantage of those low options premiums considering that it has averaged about 3.6% moves over the last eight quarters, was by buying some upside cheap calls, mostly weeklies. An example of one of the trades that I saw that was kind of interesting, the November 26 weekly 150 strike calls. We saw one institutional buyer spend $3.35 for a 1,000 of those, risking just 2.25% of the current stock price to make a bullish bet that will break even if Apple is up more than 2.8% by four weeks from this coming Friday. All right. Thank you, Mike, for that. Mike Coe, for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. By the way, Ford is moving like a tech stock after hours. It is up by more than 9% right now. Up next, final trades. Final trade time, Tim. Dislocation in Whirlpool to fundamentals and higher margins by Whirlpool. Steve? Visa and MasterCard get hurt by a firm. You know who doesn't? American Express. Buy them. Peter. I'm going to give you a firm because there's nothing but call buying out there. The stock's going higher. Guy. Coca-Cola, sister, off a monster report. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for a big show. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable. But the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today. 